Hello and welcome to Earth Calling. We're your hosts, Ed and Laszlo. Every week we bring you a fresh slice of online content, sorting through the likes, the memes, the insta-queens, the swipes, the scrolls, and the Twitter trolls. Together, we're laying down our 21st century digital legacy. So sit back, relax, and buckle in. This is Earth Calling. Well, hello, my friends at Earth Calling Podcast. Welcome back to episode 29 of, of this podcast. I will cut my Spanish accent off there so as not to torture you. But welcome back, Earth Callers. How are you? And uh, I guess the only person I can really get feedback from is my co-presenter, Ed. Ed, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I am enjoying the, the slow but steady reopening of life as normal, of business as usual. Wonderful. I, I need another haircut, which is exciting. That see, it Do seems you. to be that the way in which we measure the passage of time now, for me at least, seems to be just yeah, moving from haircut to yeah. haircut. That makes it sound a lot sadder than it feels, but <laughs> anyway, I, I need a haircut. Well, I, yeah. I, I've got a, a very handy new way of measuring when I need a haircut, and it's actually um, the metric of number of earth-calling episodes. So I know, and I, I now mm. know that it takes exactly 14 earth-calling episodes for me to regrow the bush. Um, 14? No, I, I made... I'm, Three I'm, months, for God's I, sake. I made it up. I made it up. And, and, <laughs> well, I mean... And by the way, you'd be shocked to know that actually... I probably wait even longer than three months before getting a new haircut because my hair, I just mm. I just let it grow out. As you know, I just let it grow out. Yeah, no, fair enough. Take it easy. I'm more of a... At a regular cadence, non-COVID times, I'm more of a six-week man. Really? Uh, but, you know, different men, different hairstyles. You're bloody high maintenance, aren't you? Jaime. Jaime. Uh, Jaime. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. But, shout out to all of our Spanish. Listeners. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, uh, shout out and apologies. Um, we Jaime, yeah. These days, whenever we do shout outs to kind of different demographics on Earth Calling, we basically always have to pair it with an apology because at some points we've probably <laughs> totally mismanaged their accent. But anyway, it's great to be with you all today. And we're really excited because uh, the platform we're looking at today is one that we've kind of been saving up for a rainy day. And that is yes. the wonderful reviewing service called TripAdvisor, which I'm sure a lot of people know. TripAdvisor. Warning, warning, good content. <laughs> and I'm, I'm oh sure a lot of you have either read or potentially even written a review on, on this website, which allows you to basically um, give your appraisal of restaurants and hotels uh, across the world. Ed, I would love to hear a bit about how TripAdvisor came to be. Our tale begins in the year 2000. As I said, I've been to the year 2000. Not much has changed, but they live underwater. My great, great, great granddaughter is pretty fine. Shout out to anyone who got that busted reference. I also uh, think that that is a, a very, very overlooked lyric. It's a fantastic lyric. Your great, great, great granddaughter is pretty fine. I think that's great. Anyway. 
Never yeah. mind. Yeah. I also can't help but think that in the year 3000, you've got several more generations greats. You're and right. therefore greats <laughs> yeah. than that. You're right. The, the original lyric was, and you're great, 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 great. It actually goes on to the third verse where eventually he says granddaughter. Uh, but yeah. one savvy producer thought that it wasn't worth, you know, the trade-off. Anyway, the year is 2000. And we wend our way not to the west coast of America, but in fact, drumroll, to the east coast, the rainy east coast of America, and more specifically, the Boston, Massachusetts. You could not make it up. We finally landed in Boston, my boys and girls. I can't believe it. Go on then, Ed. Yeah, go on. In preparation for this episode, I actually looked up a YouTube video about the Bostonian accent, <laughs> partly because we got such poor feedback from Josh Berry, uh, and it turns out that I've been doing it slightly wrong, so the Boston accent oh, is... Oh, really? It, it turns out on... you've been doing it slightly wrong, does it? <laughs> that is, I could never ex- expected that. Okay, go on. Well, I used to think that Boston was all about the drawl, and actually that's a bit more New York, and Boston's a bit more about the A, apparently. So people say things like, yeah, how's it going, Ma? You want to get down to the park today? Um, that was, how's it going, Mother? Funny. Would you like to get to the park today? Let's talk about the park. <laughs> um, Manchester, Manchester by the Sea, great film. Is that the Casey Affleck, I think? Um, great film, Manchester Maybe. by the Sea. By the way, just quickly on, on the Boston accent, I've actually got a friend in Berlin from Boston, and I met him randomly through a platform which would be worth potentially a future Earth Calling episode called Lunch Club, which is where like-minded people meet each other over a quick Zoom call. Um, it supposedly matches you with people. Long story short, I met this guy. He's called um, Kevin. Ke- Kevin O'Driscoll. Uh, I'm sure he won't mind. Wait, sorry. You met, you met him on basically oh. a chat roulette, but for lunch. <laughs> yeah, chat roulette for lunch oh, for... God. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I met him and we got along well. And after the first 10 minutes, I said, oh, and of course, you know, you're Irish. I can tell from your accent you're Irish. So which part of Ireland? And then he goes, uh, no, I'm actually from Boston. And I was... Um, I was a bit, bit, bit taken aback because he really didn't have a, a what I thought was a Bostonian accent. So, anyway, thank you for clearing up. Well, there's the, a great Irish influence in Boston. Actually, it's uh, yeah, a lot of Irish came over. Of to course, Boston of course, yeah, up, uh, yeah, yeah. But I thought you know, great the, community. I thought he was definitely from from different parts of the world. But anyway, on to the the, the, the founding story again, please, Edward. <laughs> What, via that stereotypical pot of gold that you just dropped in? Sorry. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Shout out to our listeners from Ireland. Apologies to our listeners from Ireland. Yes, please continue. So, for the third time, the year was 2000, and a founding team consisting of Stephen Quaffer, Langley Steinart, Nick Shani, and Thomas Palker got together in Boston in order to found a travel-based social media site. And that's a bit of uh, mischaracterization, in fact, because interestingly, at first, the business model was entirely different. So co-founder Stephen Kaufer originally wanted to take his hardcore engineering skills and apply those to searching online travel. That is to say that he basically wanted to build a massive database of travel information, which Mm -hmm. he would then provide to companies like Expedia and Travelocity. So he would just scrape the internet for all of the websites of hotels and all of their contact details and then just sell that Mm -hmm. to the likes of Expedia and Travelocity. Now, after several weeks and months of absolutely nothing coming of that and reaching very little of the way of traction with those big companies, he decided to pivot 
and build a direct-to-consumer-style website whereby he would list hotel details and take a percentage fee for every time a customer clicked through to that hotel's website and made a booking. Mm. Now, this is, of course, a very common business model that lots of people know nowadays, but in 2000, it was relatively nascent and not that many people had kind of thought about this idea of charging a commission of directing business to a particular website. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So at that point things started to spiral and actually three months into launching this new model he was suddenly earning you know seventy thousand dollars a month and the company was breaking even and what's really interesting was at this point he hadn't even actually added the feature of allowing users to review the the hotels Mm. that they were staying in he was actually just focusing on listing all of the details so they subsequently added just as a bit of a, a gimmicky feature the ability to add your thoughts as a customer about that particular hotel mm. and they saw that this just suddenly you know rocketed and there's a quote that he came up with several years later where he said we started as a site where we oh, I just can't it's, it's terrible I've watched I've watched an interview with him he doesn't even have a Boston accent I'm just a complete charlatan so <laughs> we started as a site where we were focused mostly on those official words from guidebooks or newspapers or magazines but we at the very beginning decided to add a little button saying visitors you can add your own review and oh boy did that just take off Mm. Um, and so that took off and the website became known primarily for its customer reviews it was subsequently bought for 200 million dollars by Expedia in 2004 And they kind of nurtured the business and invested in it and it continues to be profitable. And they actually sold it in 2011 for four billion dollars so really hell. pretty pretty exciting and it's now worth six billion and has 450 million monthly active users so maus which is pretty crazy because wow. that's one in 16 people on the planet wow. checking into tripadvisor monthly so that's the founding story was it always called tripadvisor by the way Yes, it was. It yeah. was actually. I, I just, I, I really appreciate the name. You know, I appreciate a name which just tells you what it does on the tin. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. these days, startups appear left, right, and centre called things like Weebly or Volkly or you know, and they're all kind of yeah. copying each other with the same kooky little suffixes. But I just like how it's, it's, it's straight to the bloody point. It's just good, honest, salt of the earth, <laughs> yeah. Bostonian, Bostonian does what it says on the tin. Exactly. You know. Big yeah, I- good Irish, Irish Catholic. Irish <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but interestingly, the reason why all of those startups use those annoying words is because of search engine optimization, right? Because nowadays you can't actually create a company that does what it says on the tin because what it says on the tin has probably been claimed by another company. Of course. So Google, you know, first probably pioneered that idea of creating something that yeah it was was very easy to memorize ironically search and memorize and and was its own word and subsequently has led to all sorts of other silly names but tripadvisor does what it says on the tin it's extremely popular and it's really interesting in the sense of what is born out as a sort of millennial what i would call a millennial trope which is this idea of everything now being social Mm -hmm. and everything being born out of social validation so you know, it's one thing being told by Lonely Planet or being told by the hotel itself that it's really great, but actually seeing that 10,000 people have collectively decided, wisdom yeah. of the crowd, yeah. that this thing is great makes you think, oh, great, I'm a sheep, I'm going to go along with that. Or not even I'm a sheep, just like I'm a well-informed sheep. Goat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a well-informed sheep and I feel like those pastures look suitable for grazing. 
They look yeah. lovely, actually. Lovely pasta <laughs> over there. Um, yeah, so everything's gone social and we're deeply social creatures and we like the idea of validation through the group. And it's interesting how, you know, as you look through TripAdvisor, and we can talk about whether we are TripAdvisor users or indeed TripAdvisors ourselves, but I find that, you know, you you see people looking through and just one review that's bad can put you off. There can be like Absolutely. 99 really positive reviews, but then if one person says it's terrible, you think, hmm... And that's what's actually given so much leverage nowadays to the customer, which has pros and cons, right? Because you do actually see sad cases where guests will blackmail hotels or diners will blackmail a restaurant saying, I will leave you a bad review unless you give me X percent discount. Yeah. But that's the background and a little bit of what I think that it's done to travel, but Laszlo, in terms of you personally, are you a user of TripAdvisor? Have you advised on a trip in the past? I I have not, in fact, advised on a trip in the past. I mean, I, I'm more than happy to leave, you know, long Airbnb reviews for, for people who have hosted me. Um, because, no, again... I can well imagine, actually, of course, the personal <laughs> connection with a stranger. You know, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've left some glowing Airbnb reviews. I, yeah. um, I mean... Not only was Katya a wonderful host, but she also took me for an excellent platonic borscht the following day. <laughs> and, and her knowledge of the Omsk backstreets was really quite uh, <laughs> impressive. Impressive. No, I'm not, I'm not a reviewer. I mean, I think, you know... The thing that I I think of when considering people who leave TripAdvisor reviews is is the episode we did on Wikipedia and the people who are likely to edit Wikipedia pages or indeed create Wikipedia pages. And I think mm. not. I think it, it's definitely um, it's definitely less rogue to write a TripAdvisor review than to write, let's say, the Wikipedia article on you know Henry VIII's uh, lover who was never fifth his wife. wife exactly fifth wife. Oh, who would that be, by the way? Uh... Not sure, but she would have been beheaded. <laughs> yeah, um. I think it's Anne. Of, I think it's not Anne of Cleves. Then was it Catherine Howard? Okay, anyway, divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, beheaded survived. survived. Indeed. Um, but anyway, so I think you know it takes a certain kind of person to really sit down and write uh, a long paragraph of text about uh, an experience you had at a restaurant or a hotel. What is the initial thought, do you think, that people are going through? Because it, I'm considering, some, I mean, I'm going to read out some later as part of my kind of um, discoveries on, on the site. But what takes, what, what, what does Suzanne have to be thinking to, to write a really long, glowing review of a restaurant? Is it just that she very simply wants to, you know, help the restaurant succeed in the future or is it is there some kind of street cred to doing it on TripAdvisor? Honestly I was going to ask the exact same question I I don't really understand the drive I think you know part of it might be the desire to thank the establishment like as you say if you've had a really fantastic meal and you know that it will benefit them if you post a glowing review then I can kind of understand that Similarly, I can kind of understand if you've had a terrible experience and you really genuinely do feel kind of wronged by the proprietor of the yep. establishment, you might want to get revenge by venting. And people do like to vent online yes. and therefore you want to post a negative review. But what I really, really don't get is who is submitting the sort of three or four star review yes, of an experience right. where it's essentially the equivalent of going, yeah, I mean... 
it matched expectations, kind of nothing amazing, yeah, yeah. nothing terrible, but they still post. You do get, of course, it, it, you know, the, the number of reviews does skew to both ends of the distribution, whether it be terrible yeah. or really glowing. But there are a good number of people who, who will log on and say, it was a passable dinner. Exactly. Um, I, I the love asparagus it. were as expected. <laughs> yeah, I, I came across a lot of those reviews and, you know, you've kind of got Barry from Sheffield who's kind of going like, well, you know, um, oh God, now I really have I had to just yeah, say why Sheffield. Barry why, okay, Sheffield Barry's there. from London. He happens to be from the exact area of London as me. Barry from Sheffield. And, and I, don't sat, know. I don't know. Look, uh, oh, I found the restaurant uh, was was ve- was very pleasing on the eye. You know, a good atmosphere. The dishes came um, at a warm temperature. The only thing I was a bit concerned about that the bathrooms were a bit dimly lit, um, and I thought that was a bit disappointing. Three and a half stars. You know, it's kind of like, what have you? Yeah. You've taken all this time to basically give a yeah, like you say, an average review. So, Ed, why don't we dig into some of these reviews in question? I'd be curious to hear what you dug up from your experience of the of the website. So, from my digging, I came across a variety of different things. And I think what would make the most sense would be to start with some reviews I found for some of the world's uh, most well-known landmarks. Now, Fantastic. these reviews are absolutely hilarious. And I'm actually going to do my own little quiz for you whereby Ooh. you're going to have to yeah okay um, you're going to have to actually guess from the title of the review what the landmark is now shouldn't be too difficult on some of them but okay from, just from the title just from the title i might give you a few depending on how tricky it is i might give i might give you a bit more okay. but here we go so i will start off with an easy one let's get you going with this okay so title title is actually a question which says it's just a big clock. Sorry, it's just a big clock? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, obviously that's Big Ben. That must be <laughs> <Yeah>. Big Ben. <laughs> Correct, so... I concur with the reviewer, by the way. It is just a big clock. Also, I think I think the attraction Big Ben is misleading because Big Ben literally refers to the clock. Well, no, actually, Big Ben refers to the, the, the sorry, uh, you're right. bell the, inside the, bell. the clock. Yeah. That's, yeah, the that's... tower itself is called something like Lady Elizabeth's Tower. It's definitely okay. not that, but, but something but, like that. But, but my point is that you don't go there just to look at the clock. I mean, you, you go there because the Houses of Parliament are pretty beautiful yeah. to look at. And it's on the river. And, and it's on the river. Yeah. And yeah. And... But this, this, this review just goes, it's just a big clock. And it goes, I do not understand all the hype with this clock. It is literally just a clock. It's going to be digital in 30 years anyway. Uh, so uh, another one about Big Ben that I'll just call out because it comes in for a lot of hatred, actually, I must say, on some of these. The title is just meh, dot, dot, dot. Because it's just a big clock. Nothing more, nothing less. I've got a grandfather clock at home that's just as thrilling to look at. Now... <laughs> I would love no to see to that clock. No need to bloody brag. No need to bloody <laughs> exactly. brag about your monumental grandfather clock sitting in your your living room. Hashtag yeah. humble brag. So that's Big Ben. On to the next. Mm-hmm. We had the following, which again is a little bit easy, but it is just bloody funny. So number two is, well, it's not actually an eye. <laughs> I mean, that must be the London eye. That's correct so this one goes i don't like heights and i didn't <laughs> like this my wife and daughter loved it 
I read the newspaper and pretend I was elsewhere. If you don't like heights, don't even go near it. Apparently, the views are great. <laughs> this person did not look up from their newspaper, did they? What is he doing? What do you mean, apparently, you've been on the bloody That's thing? That's incredible. And also, why would you go up the London yes, Eye if you exactly. don't like heights? Exactly. And who, I mean, there's just so many questions. Like, who in the right mind gets to the London Eye and goes, right, well, that's false advertising. <laughs> Not actually an eye, is it? Also, what do they expect? This monumental kind of fleshy <laughs> eye which you just go up to and just touch or prod. I mean, <sighs> So this next one I picked out particularly because it has a personal resonance with you, Laszlo. So that's give you a bit of a clue because the title itself will not give you any clues whatsoever. Fantastic. But the title is simply Nature is Crap. <laughs> This person just reviewing nature, are they? Nature, two stars. So where where do you think this might be? So, so, Given sorry. that it has a personal resonance for you. Okay, it's got a personal resonance for me. Nature is crap. You might be referring to my time in Russia. You could be referring to um, a trip we took in the United States a Correct. few years ago. Oh, okay, right. It's on there, is it? Um, nature is crap. Is this like Yosemite? I'm afraid not, but you're not a million miles away. Not a million miles away. So, uh, so <laughs> and it's great because you could just never perceive this as being written about the place that I'm about to mention because you found it so wonderfully overwhelming. But okay. this is, in fact, a review about the Grand Canyon, uh, <laughs> which I can explain to the listeners. Laszlo was extremely excited to see the Grand Canyon when we were on our road trip of the States in 2015. So excited, in fact, that we blindfolded him when we reached the Grand Canyon and led him up to the edge so that he, you know, had the full awe-inspiring view of it when he first saw it. And actually, you cried, didn't you? Did I cry? I think so. Yeah. I don't think I cried. I think <laughs> you're making that up, you twat. I did not cry. I, I, I had a very suitable and, if I might say so, a very manly reaction, in fact. Overly manly. Mm. I, just, I just grunted. I went, oh, yeah, great view. Ugh. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. It's all right. No, I, I was yeah. actually no, very you were, overwhelmed. You were overwhelmed. You were so, somewhat overwhelmed with yep. a Wordsworthian sense of the sublime, mm-hmm. I would say. And we're in awe at its sheer scale and beauty. Anyway, so David H. was not so overwhelmed in 2008. And he simply wrote, I've been to a number of so-called landmarks in my time, but what the hell was this? Just an overblown sandy ditch. Really don't get the fascination with this stuff. Took two hours to get there. Should have stayed in the hotel and watched a DVD instead. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So good. I yeah, I really can't can't agree that's, with you there, David. The Grand incredible. Canyon is is awesome. It's, highly it's recommend. Five so star, fun. I would even say. Yeah, five yeah. five star. But Laz, you also looked into some, something restaurant related. Is that right? I did. I did. And this is this is the bulk of what I, I wanted to talk about because you know I think when you think about TripAdvisor, you often think mainly about the negative reviews. But I actually had a great time looking at some very very positive reviews for mm. some some very lofty, let's say, or very posh venues in London. Highfalutin. Highfalutin. And I thought that I could read out a couple of these reviews because they are superbly, superbly pretentious. So here we go. This one is written by Claire C. And it's um, about the Beaufort Bar in London. Hmm. Don't mind if I do. Don't mind if I do. So Claire said, just the title is wow. (laughs) 
No. <laughs> yeah, already. Then, then, then the review. My son had been asked to pop in because the bar is using one of his products in a cocktail they make. Bracket Londinio liqueurs. <laughs> Oh, a bit of product placement, Claire. Slightly flying by the seat of your pants in terms of the TripAdvisor product guidelines, but we'll let you get away with it because you write beautifully. We do. We had been reser- <laughs> we had been reserved seats at the bar, and the experience of seeing how the cocktails were made and the hand cutting of the ice by the staff was excellent. Hand cutting of the ice. What the hell's happening? Anyway. The cocktail menu was presented in the form of a beautiful hardback book. (laughs) (laughs) Was it the bloody half-blood prince or something? (laughs) Exactly, what the hell is she... Is it the Bible they get given? Anyway. um, All those blasted paperback menus, all those Kindle menus, hate them. Awful, awful. Then she continues, This is not a cheap experience. It is... (laughs) it, It is the Savoy after all. Brackets, oh, brackets, oh, cocktails oh. from twenty to sixty pounds. You know, she's, she's sixty really, pounds for a cocktail. Yeah, she's really making sure, you know, that people know she's the kind of person that's okay with this uh, with this experience. Yeah, but and she her says, son stocks his liqueur there. So <laughs> indeed, then she says. However, the place is beautiful, very atmospheric. So as a treat, it is well worth a visit, especially if you like people watching. The bar nibbles mm. accompanying the drinks were a very nice touch. The staff are attentive. Make sure it is on your bucket list of things to do. <laughs> that's amazing. Just great. And this led me to think, you know, well, if that's the Beaufort, what, what are we going to hear for the Ritz? So obviously, oh, yes. I searched for the Ritz. And, and, you know, I think it's worth just honoring this review because this person clearly spent a lot of time writing the review and the the headline is just more marvelous than ever so (laughs) i just also love the opening line of the review after an absence of six months it was wonderful to be back at the ritz oh just a little humble brag flex it up yeah she's a regular 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 (laughs) whenever you walk into the ritz for the first time that you are there it always provides something an escape from the real world and this has never been more welcome than during the ongoing pandemic. Walking into the dining room, the first time since December. Yes, we know you were there six months ago. Yeah, we, we know you bloody love the Ritz. <laughs> yeah. On their opening night, it was as if nothing had changed. From the wonderfully warm welcome from the same familiar faces, to the slick, personalised, friendly service, it was just as we remembered. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if she's writing, he or she writing in the royal we. Yeah, exactly, we really just she's just sitting there on her I, own. The food was even better than before, and that really is saying something. (laughs) This is a kitchen that has used the lockdown to reflect and evolve what they offer, but is never going so far as to lose the Ritz DNA. Oh, so good. (laughs) Out of the new dishes that we had the pleasure to try, a standout was the kombu custard, which sat atop some oysters and was crowned tableside. Sat atop some oysters and was crowned tableside with some caviar. For me, this was a dish straight out of a three-star Michelin kitchen. Mm. The Turbo Veronique was also a beautiful riff on the Escoffier. Oh, excellent Escoffier! Brought, brought right up to date with some lavage puree <laughs> and a split brackets with oil. Close brackets <laughs> sauce. <laughs> I really, I'm actually finding it hard to, to make my way through this because it's just every other word in that paragraph was something like Escoffier or Tobo Veronique or Turbot, mate. Turbot, it's a type of fish, isn't it? Turbot. Dorbout. Reminds me of that critic in Ratatouille. Do you remember that uh, that very discerning yes, French yes. restaurant critic? I can't remember his name. Yes. Serve me some perspective. 
Yes, is that what he says? He asked for perspective. Is that well? You can have a ratatouille if that's what you mean. Yeah, he's, he's, he's called Anton Ego, who is the secondary antagonist of Disney that's Pixar's it. 2007 animated feature film Ratatouille, cutthroat food critic. Yeah. yeah. Well, then I guess you know we we must finish this review as Antoine Ego himself. The classics that have never changed were, of course, still there, such as their inimitable version of crepe Suzette prepared tableside. Mm. There are also a couple of new innovations, such as coffee or a mint infusion prepared tableside. Wait, sorry. A couple of new innovations, <laughs> such as coffee. <laughs> what the hell is happening here, Anton? I love the idea of a prepared tableside. Yeah, what does it mean, tableside? Well, they basically take a bloody cafetiere and a bit of milk and put it in a... Yeah, yeah. Tableside preparation <laughs> of the café and the day. They put the tea bag into the blo- water and then a little bit of milk. A l'anglaise, uh, how do you say uh, English style? <laughs> I was blown away by the simplicity of their flat white. A couple of new innovations such as coffee or a mint infusion prepared tableside with great theatrical flair. Oh, mais which excellent. Is a, which is what, what was this person doing? Slapping, you know, Antoine with mint leaves. <laughs> you know, you imagine, you know, Benny Hanna, where the, where the chef makes a volcano out of onions. Yes. What's happening with his mint exactly. leaves? Exactly, kind of yeah. Creating a jungle full of The mint. flat white was pleasurably flat, and <laughs> I could have taken a spirit level to the flat white, and I can guarantee that it would have been flatter than the earth in 1542 before... Uh, I've forgotten his name. Galileo, wasn't it? Yeah. Copernicus, Copernicus bugger, bugger, yeah. yeah, so, uh, you know, this theatrical flair is a fun way to end what is always a fun evening at the Ritz. Amazing. We even indulged ourselves with a second dinner there that week. <laughs> oh dear, I mean, talk about bloody humble bragging. This yeah, is just getting ridiculous. Uh, and managed to sample some more of their dishes. And as it was a Saturday evening, the accompanying band and dancers added to the already convivial atmosphere. Amazing, convivial, convivial, yeah. Bloody hell. This is a kitchen producing seriously high-end cuisine, brackets and flat whites, close brackets, (laughs) with with strong classical foundations served with the warmest of welcomes in a dining room that exudes... I, I, that exudes immense charm. <sighs> Honestly, this person's hand is so far up their bloody ass that they. You know, so good. <laughs> I'm surprised they're getting any words out. Well, it's that time, everyone, for Laszlo's listicles. Laszlo's listicles. <laughs> now, Ed, this week, this week, I've got a very hard challenge for you. Uh, it's a hard challenge that in you know, previous listicle format would probably be quite easy, but since we know that you're pretty good at this game and I'm generally too easy in my assignments, what I've done is I've got the top 10 most booked attractions and I want you to name the top three and you will have to name the top three, um, not in the exact order, but I, the three landmarks to get the, the full point. Oh, okay, so bloody hell, you've really upped the ante there, mate. Christ. I've, I've, up, I've, up the, I've up the ante and... Um, okay. I, I will, you know, award points if the, the attractions you say still appear in the top ten. Okay. But I, I no, really no. You are, so you want the top three the top most popular TripAdvisor monuments exactly. or landmarks in the world based based on presumably some combined multiplication of number of reviews plus average star rating or something it's, like that, I guess. Yes, yeah. it's the most... So it's the most booked attractions in most the world. Most booked. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. that 
interesting so that's telling me that you so these require a booking so things like big ben probably won't be in there because i don't need book big ben or maybe you do okay so this is quite difficult so they have to be places that lots of people visit so we're thinking your sydney opera houses your coliseums your eiffel towers your washington monuments your your big bends really not your london eyes tricky 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 i'm also wondering how what what TripAdvisor's demographic is do they have any asian users would things like the great wall of china maybe slot i love this there? by the way i just need to commend ed you know to, to our listeners maybe i'm not maybe i don't compliment you enough on air but i just love this this thought process that goes in before he answers a loud logistical <laughs> it's so so forensic so considerate very good very good uh annoyingly i haven't got lazo on video because normally i can try and discern little ticks in his facial expressions that lead me a little bit warmer yes, but yes. yeah uh, so i yeah. think i start blinking rapidly <laughs> when, he, when he says the right answer so hmm. all right i think that for fear of sounding too cliched the Eiffel Tower has to be in the top three. Um, so I'm going to lay that one down. And for my other two, I am going to choose... The booking element is slightly throwing me off because I think of places that you can actually book. Because, you know, we think of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Pyramids yeah, of Giza, so, so, you know, the Hanging yeah, Gardens of Babylon. So to, Speaking of, like, what even is the Hanging Gardens of Babylon? Is that good? Have you been there? Yeah, should the plants be hacked? Does that mean they've not been watered enough? I have no idea, but that's the one that I've never really got. Angkor Wat, (laughs) amazing. You know, pyramids, I get it. So, I I, I mean, look, I wouldn't worry too much about the booking thing. I mean, you just have to imagine that these places would, in theory, have some kind of tour that you could book, right? So Eiffel Tower Um, is in there. For sure, I think. Um, I am also... If if your three suggestions are in the top ten, I'll give you a point, but I'll give Mm -hmm. you a a kind of big bonus award if all you get three. all, yeah. all three. So I think Eiffel Tower is in there. I think Great Wall of China is in there. And then for my third suggestion, I'm going to say the Ritz London. No, I'm going to say... <laughs> uh, I'm thinking somewhere in Italy because I know that Paris is the most visited uh, city in Europe, but I'm pretty sure that Italy maybe because Rome's not that much of a tourist city hmm. I'm being I'm, I'm, I'm aware that I'm also uh, I'm playing for time maybe somewhere in America maybe it's the Empire State Building hmm god okay or maybe the Statue of Liberty no okay I'm gonna say the Empire State Building the Great Wall of China and uh, the Eiffel Tower in Paris final answer so actually funnily enough the Great Wall of China and the Empire State Building are not in the top 10 at Darker. all the, the great wall of china is, is not there i will give you a second chance i'm going to tell you in what country they okay. are the top three and then now you really have to get it. so it's two italian attractions and one french yeah well french one must be the not the eiffel oh Tower. my god no. okay no it must the be eiffel notre dame in the top must 10, be notre dame but it's at number five it's at number five okay so i'm gonna well just okay think. so hang on let okay, me think okay. let me think okay maybe the art maybe l'art du triomphe uh the triumphal arch might be um the tour de montparnasse it might be the sacre coeur uh but I, I think it's got to be notre dame no if it's in paris what else uh difficult 
How is it not the Eiffel Tower in Paris? That's insane. Unless it's unless it's the Champs Elysees, that I would mean, be tragic. You're gonna kick. You're gonna really kick yourself. You're gonna really kick yourself. Okay, the Louvre is a, is you know the Mona Lisa maybe, but like I'm I'm surprised that that's a bit of a. If it is the Mona Lisa in the Louvre, I think that the whole booking thing is definitely skewing that because more people visit the Eiffel Tower than visit the Mona Lisa. But anyway, because of what you've just said, I'm going to go with the Mona Lisa in the Louvre. And then um, for two and three, given this new kind of information, I'm going to say <sighs> Statue of David in Florence, maybe? Or would it be the... <clears throat> God, because that, that's in the Uffizi or outside the Uffizi. Or, God, I don't know, St. Mark's Square in Venice. There's so many, so many in Italy, so many fantastic places to look at. But maybe it is the Colosseum in Rome, Colosseo. But no, because that's not that Colosseo. touristy Rome. Venice is much more touristy. Uh, fine, St. Mark's Square in Venice. And then um, the Duomo in Florence, in Firenze. Okay, um, so St. Mark's Square is uh, number 10 on this list in okay. Venice. So, commendations, light commendations. But no, I'm afraid, actually, you know, funny enough, I did make it very hard, but um, you, you didn't, you know, it's not your most spectacular round of, of the listicle format. So, no, number one most booked attraction is the Colosseum. Wow, that is bizarre. Yeah. I, I just think this booking thing yeah. is, is throwing people off because that can't be the most visited. Yeah. Anyway, but throwing carry on. People are throwing you off. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> number two, I, I really don't think you should be surprised at this because it's uh, it's the Louvre, and yeah. the Louvre is the most visited museum in the world. I mean, it's uh, it's a monumental attraction. It's huge. Yeah, but I think so, I think that more people who visit Paris as a tourist will visit the Eiffel Tower than the Louvre. That might be wrong. Well, the, the Eiffel Tower comes fifth, and I think again maybe maybe this booking thing is is throwing you off, but uh, more tickets are bought to the yeah. Louvre than to the yeah, Eiffel Tower. Fair. Is, is the, the kind of the, the, the highlight highlights and then the third one is actually probably the trickiest of them all but it's actually the Vatican Museums in Rome yeah okay this so is yeah, I feel <laughs> robbed and I'm sure there are lots of people listening thinking, the Vatican Museum I me a bloody laugh mate not at all I mean because uh, the Vatican Museums just means basically en- entering the Vatican City which obviously is not a free thing you need to you need to buy yeah this booking thing is, um, is a sham so I think you know <laughs> not to be well I'm being a sore loser but yeah okay fine <laughs> well that is all we've got time for very sadly but thank you everybody as ever for listening please do give us a rating and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give us a download and a follow on Spotify and do head over to our Instagram, which can be found at earth underscore calling underscore pod, where we post additional content and all the latest news. Quick reminder that this week is our penultimate episode of season one of earth calling so we will be wrapping up next week with our 30th episode of the season and very much look forward to seeing you then yes and for this season finale we've got something very special for you ed and i will be heading into the rainforest to wrestle with the leviathan the unstoppable beast of online platforms none other than Amazon. Mm-hmm. So renew those prime subscriptions, fire off an impulse purchase for a waterproof radio, <laughs> and sign those prenups. It's going to be a pretty wild ride. <laughs> for now, Earth out. Mm-hmm.